Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Today's fee-for-service dentist podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. New from Kettenbach, imagine one product for every cementation protocol. A hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup material combined into one product, Visalis Semcore. Compatible with all substrates, all restorative designs. Its unique technology permanently bonds materials using a dual curing phase transfer catalyst. It also features easy peel cleanup, saving time and stress when removing excess cement. Experience why dentists bond permanently with Kettenbach's all-in-one adhesive cement and core buildup, the Salus Semcor. Call 877-532-2123 or visit us on the web, Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H-D-E-N-T.us. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Practice, Dr. Sonny Spira. And it's my privilege to bring on someone who I have listened to and enjoyed very much, and I've actually become a client of theirs. I will full disclose right now. Um, his, his name is Tom Wheelwright, and he is a CPA and CEO of Wealth Ability, rich dad advisor, entrepreneur, international speaker, and best selling author of Tax Free Wealth How to Build Massive Wealth by Permanently Reducing Your Taxes. And He's releasing a book this summer titled The Win-Win Wealth Strategy, Seven Investments That the Government Will Pay You to Make. If that doesn't sound good. I'm not sure what does. So, hey, welcome. Please welcome, Tom. How are you today? I'm good, Sonny. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm talking to you. I can't get any better. Hey, it's, it's my privilege. It's an honor to be with you. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, I'm going to tell you, my first introduction was I heard you on Howard Fran's podcast. <laughs> And I just liked your, I liked your style. I like what you talked about. It was very intriguing to me, you know, cause everybody, right. You work from January to July for the government and then starting in July, you generally start working for yourself. So I like the idea of paying way less taxes and earning more your, your slogan. So just talk a little bit about where you started. 
Um, yeah. So I actually started um, with one of the big four, Ernst and Young, and uh, spent seven years with them. And I was three years in their national tax office. Uh, I was there during the Reagan years. Okay. And uh, during that big tax law change. Uh, so that gives you a little idea of how old I am. Um, I've been practicing for over 40 years now. And um, uh, doing a, I've always done a lot of teaching and a lot of writing. And uh, I spent four years as the in-house tax advisor for a Fortune 1000 company. Started my first CPA firm in 1995. And uh, built that and uh, bought a couple of firms, sold a couple of firms. Um, Got a little and, entrepreneurial in you. There you go. Well, yeah. So right now, I, now I run four, four companies right now, and uh, in, including a software company, a, a CPA firm, uh, WealthAbility, which is uh, basically a marketing education company, and uh, a, a little real estate company. So um, we're really all connected to each other. Uh, but I love, I love entrepreneurs. I'm the son, grandson, and great-grandson of entrepreneurs. So it's in my blood. Well, talk, tell me a little bit about your family background, because I always find that amazing and interesting. Like Howard, right? His dad was a franchisee, and, and then their dinner conversation was all about demographics and, and car counts and you know, and, uh, you know, uh, share, you know, uh, you know, purchasing and, and, and when to, or deliver and all that kind of stuff. So what, what, what was your background? Yeah. So I grew up in Salt Lake city, Utah. And as a good Mormon boy, I spent uh, two years in France learning how to be rejected in French. So, <laughs> oh, uh, it was, it was great, great training, great training, really the best training ever for basically for an entrepreneur is to learn how to get rejected, learn how to, you know, talk to people and not get offended by it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know in the in same time I'm in Paris. So, I mean, you know, life is not bad, right? Yeah, best, right. best food on the planet. So, well, we can argue um, about that, but keep going. <laughs> it was. <laughs> the future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, Visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was a terrific experience. Then I did my undergraduate University of Utah and my graduate degree from the University of Texas. Um, and uh, I, but I started, you know, I started doing businesses when I was like nine years old and, you know, we sell things door to door, my buddies and I, or we have some kind of a carnival and, and bring people in. We were always looking for ways to, um, you know, to sell something. Always wanted to sell something. Wonderful. So now if I, if I get it right, you actually did some of the accounting for Howard or was it for Dentaltown or where did you get uh, No, Howard, Howard was one of my early clients. Okay. Just Howard as, was, just as one of the early, was one of the early clients with his dental practice in my CPA firm. Oh, geez, that's been a hundred years ago. And, uh, and he went off on uh, dental, uh, uh, you know, the uh, dental town and uh, really went that direction. And, uh, we, but we stayed friends. I mean, I remember uh, I was teaching at ASU. I was an adjunct for 14 years in their master's program. And he walks in one day and he goes, "That's right." Hey, just, yeah. want, 
just want to just want to say hi. I'm getting my MBA. So he was getting his MBA at the same time I was teaching uh, in the Masters of Tax program at ASU. So we've we've just stayed friends over the years. I, uh, Howard's uh, an amazing entrepreneur. He's an amazing person. Yeah, he's one of my favorite, one of my mentors. I think one of the reasons uh, he's that terrific. I've done what I've done. Yeah. So so uh, so you have you always had an interest in the CPA and the numbers, or or, or was that just a, a, a avenue that your folks? I mean, how did you get into? No. CPA? So so I grew up in a family business. So yeah. my dad was a printer, and so all I'm the youngest of six kids. We all worked in the business, and um, uh, everybody worked in a different area. I had you know, a brother who worked in the art department and I had another brother worked in the press room and I worked in the bookkeeping. My mother was the controller. I worked in the bookkeeping. I like numbers and um, I like numbers and I like law and tax is just a really good combination of numbers and law. And right. I didn't want to be a lawyer because I didn't want, um, <laughs> I didn't want, didn't want to hang with lawyers all the time. So that's why I became an accountant. <laughs> Okay. So, so what was your first accounting gigs? What did you do? Was it on your own? Did you say? No. So no, my no, very you first, said, you said you started Ernst and Young, you said, right? So no, actually before that, when I was in college, um, geez, I was just back from my mission in Paris. Okay. And right. uh, I started with a, a buddy of mine, his dad owned a C, was a uh, partner in a CPA firm. And I went in and did bookkeeping for that firm for, as an intern for nine months. And then I, uh, the next year, um, I did, um, I did work for another CPA firm locally there in uh, Salt Lake, uh, did tax returns. And then I went to, when I went to graduate school, I did got another job with a tax firm. So I actually, this is back before people actually did internships. Mm -hmm. So it actually did give me quite a bit of a head start. And, uh, when I started at Ernst Young, I started in, Back when it was Ernst and Winnie in uh, 1983, so when okay. I started with them, so it's uh, it's it's been a while since I started uh, with E and Y. All right, so so you you've had a you've had a knack for that. Now, talk about how did you because because the topic of our discussion today is going to be about reducing taxes and accumulating wealth which I think could be very helpful for any any level of dentistry. So you're early on to later on. I mean, I remember the first time I heard somebody say, well, it's July 1st, celebrate. You're, you're working for yourself. And I, I was like, what is he talking about? And, and the analogy was, you know, 50% goes to taxes in the government. So January to July 1st, you are working for the government and now you work for yourself. And it just really hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I started to say, well, I should be a little more tax wise conscious in my business, which we weren't, but we tried. And, uh, you know, in learning. So how did you kind of come up with, you know, that interest? Well, so you remember back 2008, 2009, we had big stimulus packages, right? <laughs> and I started thinking about it. I'm going, um, you know, that's really all the tax lies. It's just a series of stimulus packages. It's just stimulus for business owners, stimulus for real estate investors. It's all incentives. And I remember very clearly... Um, and interestingly, several other people remember this too. I was on stage with Robert Kiyosaki, he's a good friend of mine and, and uh, um, been a client, a public client of mine for many, many years. And we were on stage together in, at the Paris in yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, in Vegas, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
I said, the, the, this is the first time in public I said, well, the tax law is really a series of stimulus packages for entrepreneurs and investors. And he looks at me and he goes, really? And I said, well, yeah, that's what it is. And like the light bulb went on and it was just boom. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, this is so cool because it supports everything he's been saying, right? So for 15 plus years, we traveled around the world um, speaking. And a lot of times it was just me and him. Sometimes other rich dad advisors, but a lot of times just me and him. And a little good cop, bad cop. I, I'm, I'm more of the good cop type. And, um, but he would, you know, he, he, he's brilliant at explaining financial concepts very simply. And what, what I did was really support that, look, actually the government supports what Robert's talking about. And that's really what kind of led to the new book that I, I, I'm just releasing is that we really are in a partnership with the government. And once you realize you're in a partnership with the government, I, I remember, um, I don't know if you ever watched Friends um, when it was on, but I, one of the early episodes, Rachel um, gets her first job and she's waiting tables and she gets her first paycheck and she's all excited. And she goes, I can't believe it. And she rips it up and she goes, I waited tables for this. I, I bust tables for this. I, I broke my back for this and it's totally not worth it. She goes, who the heck is FICA? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going, that's really, to me, that's the best explanation of, hey, guess what? We're partners with the government, whether we like it or not. And the question right. is, to me always is, are you a silent partner? Or are you an active partner? And you get to choose. And, you know, really my mission is to help people make that choice. Um, but most people think they have to be a silent partner or they have to cheat. Most people think that it's a zero sum game right? That the government wins or the taxpayer wins. And the point of the new book, the win-win wealth strategy is no, you both can win. And I actually, I think prove it out um, pretty well in the book, showing examples of how the government wins and how the taxpayer wins. I think that's an important, I just think it's an important message because there's so much discussion right now. How about the, the, the rich cheat on their taxes? They don't pay enough tax. I'm going, uh, as you know, the, the rich pay most of the taxes. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's, that, that's complete fallacy. And uh, if they don't pay taxes, it's because they're doing what the government wants done. So I just thought, you know what, let's, let's just, um, let's expose that for what it is. And let's, let's talk about it instead of thinking that the, you know, the tax law is just this horrible, awful thing that we need to be afraid of. Well, let's let's dive right into it. Let's talk about, talk about a couple things that you think are, so, are, are, are very important uh, we'll call them partnerships with the government. Yeah. Well, so, so simple example, let me give you two different examples. So you can be a silent partner. You're a wage earner, right? You right. Uh, make your money, you pay withholding. You're going to get one or two deductions here and there, maybe some home mortgage interest. If you're, if you own a home, um, but really not much, right? I mean, you can do an IRA maybe, but there's right. not much you can do. Um, if you think about the last few years, everybody's worked from a lot of people work from home the last few years, mm -hmm. business owners got to deduct their work from home and employees didn't. So to me, that just says, okay, so if I'm a business owner, why would the government allow me to deduct my home or a portion of my home when I'm a business owner, but not as an employee? 
Well, to me, all that says is that the government wants you to be a business owner. Um, in my in, in the book, I actually run through an example, and literally, you start a business from home. The government will literally you'll actually end up with enough tax savings to pay for all of your costs of starting that business, or you could. So literally the government will pay you to start a business and you know, you go, well, why is that? Well, what does the government get out of that? Well, first of all, the government wants jobs, right? That's a big, big social reason for it. Um, second of all, guess what? They're not your partner just in the first year. They're your partner forever. So as you start making money, they get a share of that. So you go take the risk, you go make the money. Um, you, they, they get a share and you can never get rid of them as a partner. Actually, as an investor, we'd all kill to be in the part in the government's um, situation. So how would that, how would that work then for that, for that person? So use that example. So now I'm working from home. I'm still an employee of um, I don't know, Xerox. I'm an employee of a company, but I'm working from home. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, right. you're, 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 you're a silent partner with the government. There's nothing you can do now. I say that, but let's say that you decide, well, wait a minute, I'm going to start a business. So I start a business from my home office. Now, all of a sudden, a percentage of your cost to your home is deductible. A percentage of your maintenance is, is deductible. A percentage of your um, real estate taxes, which we all know are limited, is deductible. Um, a whole lot of things are deductible. In addition to that, a higher percentage of your car is deductible because now, of course, you don't have it, you know, you don't have a commute, right? So everything you do for your business is uh, a business is business travel expense. Um, you just end up with a lot of expenses that you would otherwise have anyway. And now they're deductible and they're only deductible because you're a business owner. If you, again, you stay as an employee of Xerox, mm, too bad. The government doesn't incentivize that. Okay. So let's talk. Uh, so that, okay, that's what, what, what are some other examples of, uh, of things, uh, especially now most dentists, I can't say most, a lot of dentists are business owners and, you know, so what would be some of the things that they well, should be on the lookout for? A business, uh, you know, business gets the most benefits in every country. We actually looked at 15 different countries, Sonny, and, um, uh, in every single country, business is a very favored investment um, from every, every country we looked at. That, that's from Korea to Australia to uh, France um, mm -hmm. and, and the U.S., of course, and Argenti even Argentina mm -hmm. um, that we looked at. So, first of all, of course, we're on a net income tax system. So, you got to remember that any money that you put back into your business is deductible as long as it meets the test. It's a, you have a business purpose. It's a, it's an ordinary expense. It's, it's a typical expense. It's necessary, meaning it's going to be profitable for you and you're going to document it. And all of those are deductible. So basically what happens is people are taxable only on money that they earn and either spend personally or save. They spend it personally or they save it. And I can include the stock market and savings. Any of those, you're, you're going to pay tax on it. But if you reinvest the money either into your business or into um, real estate or into some other of these seven investments that the government you know, supports and they, they recommend, frankly, then you end up not paying tax on that income. So basically, 
The question is, if you're going to buy an asset, would you rather buy it pre-tax or post-tax? And what the government's saying is, well, look, if you look at these seven investments, okay, we'll let you buy it pre-tax. If you do it otherwise, it's going to be post-tax. And that's why, for example, you can get the same return in, say, real estate as you do in the stock market. And in the stock market, you actually end up with a much lower return than in real estate because in real estate, you don't pay tax and stock market, you do. So there, there really are some preferential types of investments um, that, that the government wants you to do. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting to see. And business is a big one. I mean, for example, let's say you've got inventory. Um, since 2017, uh, for most people, inventory is deductible now when you buy it, not when you sell it. Um, now you have to follow the rules. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you always have to be, um, this is why you have a team, right? This is why you have a really good uh, advisory team. And you always want to make sure that you're doing everything exactly the right way. And that's why you have advisors. But the reality is, it's like, um, your CPA can't reduce your taxes. They can only tell you what you need to do to reduce your taxes. And then you've got to go do it. But business-wise, the, the first chapter of my book's on business, and it's the by far the largest chapter because there's so many different opportunities. So what are, you said seven investments. What are some of the seven investments that you're talking so, about? So another one that people are pretty familiar about is uh, real estate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I were a dentist and here's what gets exciting, I think you combine some of these. So let's say you're a dentist. So you have, and you own your business. Well, what if you owned your building? Well, now you get, now you, you don't actually have the same restrictions that somebody has who's investing passively because it's being used in your business. And, um, the, uh, a large portion of that purchase price right now is deductible. The, the, the day you buy the building. So you literally could buy a million dollar building this year and deduct up to 200 to $300,000 of the cost of that building the day you buy it. And so, you know, you start looking at, okay, well, what if I take my business and then I buy real estate with my business? You notice I have, <laughs> I, have I told you, I have a CPA firm. I have a real estate company. I have an education company. I have a software company. Well, software is another one. Uh, technology is a very, very big um, priority for uh, the government. And so there's lots of incentives from research and development tax credits to uh, deductions to um, accelerating deductions. And um, it can be pretty fun because you go through these, you go every one of these, you don't do them unless they make you money, but while they're making you money, you're paying less tax. So, so I'm a dentist, right? Well, yep. I'm a dentist. I mean, that's kind of a oxymoron, but I am a dentist. So if let's say I'm a dentist okay. and I have, I have the option to purchase a building, right? And this, this comes up, this is a common question, right? So I can stay here and sign a five to 10 year lease, or I can go purchase a building and the dollars that I see, right? So I'm going to lease it. Let's just use simple terms. It's going to cost me $5,000 a month for my lease. I purchase a building it's going to cost me, let's say $10,000 a month if I just figure out whatever my mortgage is, whatever, whatever, whatever. How do, how do, how do you try to do some of the math to, to make that make sense? Well, uh, you, you know, um, owning a building should never be more expensive than renting a building, first of all. Um, 
Because remember, when you're renting a building, you're paying for that, for the owner's uh, mortgage payment, as well as for um, the, the utilities and as well as a profit, right? So you're paying all that anyway. So right. the, what the key there is to buy the right building. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you're paying $10,000 for, for a space that you would otherwise pay $5,000 for, either you've got a much nicer space or you've got a much bigger space. Right. Probably. Okay. So the numbers should pencil out, um, frankly. And in a lot of cases, you'll actually find that the mortgage payment is less than the rental payment. But, but is, isn't there some calcul like, wouldn't, wouldn't there be some calculation based on some of these deductions that you can take? Like, so, so oh, your example, so let's say sure. you're buying, but, but I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not using that in my example. I'm saying, okay, listen, I'm going to 5,000 is what I'm paying here. I'm going to go buy this building. Uh, it's a million dollars. My, my leasehold improvements, I'm going to have to put into it, make it all, bring it up to speed. It's going to end up costing me in that ballpark. But like you said, what are some of the, the, the pullbacks for me then? Like, what are the addbacks? Well, so for example, so, so just in the cost of the building itself, right. you're probably going to get a deduction for 20 to 30% of the cost of the building in the first year. First year. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the accelerated so, deduction? That's the accelerated bonus depreciation, right? Bonus so depreciation. let's say it's only 20%. That means you put down $200,000 on that building. You got a $200,000 deduction. So the $200,000 that probably came from your dental practice, yeah. right? Now that $200,000 isn't taxable, right? So we're buying the building pre-tax. So we're right. using pre-tax money to buy that building instead of having to pay tax on that 200,000, which would probably be, well, right. in your words, close to a hundred thousand. Let's call right? it a hundred. Yeah. Just make it 50%. It yeah. And you've got to come up with a hundred thousand somewhere else. So right. basically you have to double it, it. It doubles the amount of the down payment if you had to do it yourself. Whereas if you do it this way, um, the, the government's contributing half of the cost and why not let the government contribute half the cost on top of that, they can do the same on the lease improvements. Cause those are all deductible when you put them in service too. So hundred percent deductible in the year that you make the improvements. So the government's sharing the cost 50, 50. Now, you know, when you make the revenue, the governor's going to, the government's going to share the revenue too, right? right? Unless you continue to strategize, continue to plan and you keep pushing that down the road. And that's really the, that's really the idea um, is that you just pay less tax every single year. You keep investing. One of the downsides to this, Sonny, is that you actually have to build more wealth in order to pay less tax. So you actually get into this, um, I call it a positive addiction, but you literally have to continue. Otherwise, you're going to have, you're going to start paying tax on that, right? Because you got the deduction the first year instead of over a period of years. So you've got to continue to invest. You, it actually forces you to do something that you probably ought to be doing anyway. So you just say that, say it one more time about you, you accumulate wealth to reduce your taxes. That's what you said. Exactly. The, the more, the, here's the way I put it. The more money you make, the more tax you pay, but right. the more wealth you accumulate, the less tax you pay. Okay. So, because, talk, let's, so, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm a dummy. Tell me what you mean by accumulate wealth. Well, okay. So let's take that building. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, pay rent, are you accumulating any wealth paying that rent? 
No, just as a, as a, as a, a renter and a lessor and a right. no, you're no, it's just no. It's you, there, there's no expense. wealth accumulation, right? Now yeah. you're going to get a deduction for the rent, but yeah. there's no wealth accumulation there. You're just it's just money out of your pocket. With the real estate, though, um, that real estate, you know, as long as you maintain it, etc., you might have other tenants in there that help pay for the more for the mortgage. So you're actually building wealth. At the same time, you're reducing your taxes. You now have an asset. asset that's that's what you're you have an asset now. And, and you, ha- you may have a liability. The liability is there to pay, is, is there for the asset, right? To buy the asset. But mm-hmm. the asset should be paying back the liability. So you now don't, yeah, you've got a mortgage. You, you've, you've got a mortgage payment, but you are getting the interest deduction. You're getting the tax deduction. And so, uh, and you're amortizing it. So that's also wealth accumulation because instead of that rent, just going to somebody else, portion of that rent is going to reduce your principal. And that literally is going into your pocket. That's actually, you're accumulating wealth through that amortization of that loan. Okay. So, so let me ask you this question because I, and then this is maybe a little off track, but I, I've heard this and I remember it. So Doc says, "Listen, I'm going to buy life insurance policy. I'm going to get a, you know, I'm going to get a term life pallet policy, and I am going to accumulate my wealth so that I really don't need that life insurance policy. So I'm going to offset that with what I gain in my wealth. Right? Have you ever heard okay. anybody that strategy? Um, yeah. So, so you know, the difference between a term life and a permanent life insurance, like whole life or universal life is that term life is an expense and the universal or whole life is an asset. Uh, Term life, you never collect on. It's just an expense and whole life or uh, universal life. You collect on about 99% of the time because there's no reason you'd ever give it up. Uh, I'm uh, I'm that's actually one of the seven investments that the government uh, favors is insurance. Um, it's, it's not one that you think about, let's talk about it. It's, it's, it's not one you think about, but I mean, think about this. So, um, let's say you have a, we'll do a a plain vanilla whole life plan, right? So you've got a whole life plan. It's got $500,000 of cash surrender value. That means it's $500,000 built up into the policy value. You can actually use that as collateral with the insurance company. You can borrow at any time. You could borrow it to retire on. You could borrow it to invest with. Um, you have a lot of flexibility and it's safe money, right? So it's not money that um, your chances of losing that money, I mean, granted, nothing's perfect. Nothing's entirely safe. Um, but there aren't a lot of, in fact, I don't know of any, but I'm not an insurance guy. There aren't a lot of, um, <laughs> historically, not a lot of situations where insurance companies, uh, the policies, the government allowed them to just go away. Right. I mean, somebody that they typically the government typically requires some other insurer to take over those policies. So that's an asset. It's a safe asset. Is it returning a lot of money? No. Um, But you're going to put if you're going to have some money set aside anyway. Right. And you're going, well, I need kind of getaway money Uh, insurance, permanent insurance. Not, not such a bad idea. Term insurance. The challenge with term insurance is, again, it's an expense. You're never going to collect on it. And yes, um, it's fine when you're young, when you get older, uh, like me, it's pretty expensive. So, um, you know, all of a sudden I've got this expense and I'm going, why would I do it? I, it that doesn't make sense to me. 
to do term insurance at my age, because if, if I die, my, my wife doesn't need it. She's got her own, she's got her own money. I've got, I built enough wealth. So it's, it's not an issue. Um, but, but a, but a, a criminal life insurance I like because, um, you know, then if, um, for example, let's say I've got debt on a building, it can pay off the building debt. If I've got, you know, if I've got other things that happen, let's say I have, you know, I get medical, major medical expenses. Now I've got an option, right? So I, I do think that there is a place. I, I personally, this is just my own opinion. I personally think there's a place for um, permanent insurance for a lot of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people that can be, and, and remember that um, life insurance proceeds are not taxable. And you can set it up so they're not even subject to a state tax. So you basically can eliminate all taxes on life insurance and you're building an asset that's never going to be taxed. And I kind of like that idea, you know, for a safe asset. But let's, so let's say you're talking to me, I'm 25, I'm 30 years old. I got a wife, kids, a mortgage, right? So they say, listen, you need, you should have some life insurance. And I've always heard people say this. So, so, and that sort of was my philosophy too. So, okay. So you want, uh, you want at least to have enough life insurance to cover all your debts. Mm-hmm. So let's say, let's say you do that and you, it's, let's say it's half a million dollars, $500,000, sure. right? Kids, okay. college, et cetera. Well, that, that goes away. In the meantime, you're accumulating some wealth, right? You're accumulating some assets. Maybe your house is paid up. Maybe. So now at this point, you might say, I really don't need that life insurance policy for those reasons. Right. Is that something that makes sense as an investment or no? It it makes sense if you're disciplined enough to do that. Gotcha. Okay. The, the, the challenge is because life insurance doesn't pay high returns, right? It's not, it's not one of these super good investments that's going to pay high returns. They're just safe returns and consistent returns. Um, so, uh, you know, term life people always say, you know, buy term and invest the difference. The challenge is, is that nobody does that. So it, it really is your preference. You know, if you're going, okay, well, I will, I'll take the same amount of money. So if you were to take the same amount of money that you would put into a, say, universal life policy. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking about the difference between a permanent policy and a term life policy. Right. So you, let, okay. let, let's say you took the premium for the permanent policy and the premium for the term life. Obviously, there's a big difference there. If you literally were um, diligent enough <laughs> <laughs> to actually invest that money and invest it in something that didn't lose money because life insurance just rarely ever loses money, but you actually, you know, and what Warren Buffett says, the most important thing about investing is not to lose money. Right? So if, if you did that and you were determined enough to do that, yeah, you would do much better without insurance. You would do much better with the term insurance for sure. I mean, there's no question. The challenge is that most people are not um, that self-disciplined. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It, it, it does add a level of discipline to your life that's kind of forced discipline. And there's some, you know, I think there's some value to that. I mean, it's like I said, not for everybody. I didn't, I did the term and invest the difference when I was young. Okay. I have the, the permanent insurance now just because I'm going, I want to be able to spend all my money. I don't want to have to worry about what happens when I die. Gotcha. Yeah, I did a little bit of that, I, and I, I remember that. But I, 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 I don't know. I'm gonna. Th- I think I'm fairly disciplined. Let's just let's be honest, right? I'm not I'm not that hardcore discipline, but pretty good. Like if someone says put away ten bucks, I try to say to put away fifteen or twenty. 
you know, that's just my MO. So let's awesome. talk about some of the other investments then so that you talk about. So we hit insurance, we hit real estate, right? Business was the other one. Yep. What are some other things? Well, let's, let's do an easy one. I've never, never met a farmer or a rancher who paid tax ever in my entire life. And I've had plenty of clients who are farmers and ranchers and they're not cheating on their taxes. No, no, no tax or just land tax or home tax. What, what? That, that, no, no income tax, no income tax, zero income tax. Oh, so this is oh, like yeah. the mob. They're in the mob. That's all. <laughs> you know what? Food production is like number one on government priorities. So uh, they do have huge incentives. I mean, they get to deduct things that the rest of us don't get to deduct. You know, um, agriculture, high risk, right? Um, high, high risk endeavor. And the government is um, serious about incentivizing it. I mean, uh-huh. uh, you know, let's, I mean, that, that agriculture also gets subsidies, right? They get direct subsidies on top of tax incentives. So agriculture actually has, so, you know, you're thinking about um, building that winery. Uh, just remember that that's agriculture and that gets all the agricultural tax benefits. Um, so, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of like digging a hole and pouring money into it. But if you're, you know, if you're really determined on it, the reality is, is that I just, it's pretty rare that a, somebody who is in the agriculture business actually pays tax. Gotcha. So we're not telling Dennis to run out there and start buying up white not. grape farms. Right? And here's the other thing. So I, I'm, I'm really, and I'm very serious about this. You, you know that um, I'm not a fan of doing multiple things. Right. I'm a fan of doing one thing. I'm, I'm a very big fan of choose that one thing. You know, you, if it's dentistry and you're going to put your whole heart and soul into dentistry, do dentistry. If it's real estate, do your whole heart and soul into real estate. If it's energy, do your whole heart and soul into energy or do something that they all relate together. Right. So my software company produces software for my marketing company and my real estate company provides real estate for my CPA firm. Right. So they're all related to each other. So I'm not off doing a lot of different things that are distracting from what my core business is. I, I just think, um, I, I think this idea of, uh, diversifying from the standpoint, not the, not the normal, not what we talk about diversification in an MBA program, which is stock diversification, right? That's, that's your beta and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about what people talk about say, well, I want to have, you know, investments in multiple different asset classes. I'm going, I think that's a terrible idea. Um, If you're building wealth, I think it's a terrible idea because you're not going to be good at all of them and you're probably going to lose money at most of them. So I, I'm a very big fan of the professional investor idea that you get really good at one thing, make a decision once and uh, just apply that decision over and over and over again. That's what the, that's what the great, that's what the great investors do. So they don't make new decisions. Let's, every yeah, time. let's elaborate a little more on that. Cause, cause you, you, well, you put so, something that was really interesting there. This is, I, I, I think this is a real issue for amateur investors is yeah. they go, well, look, they're all over the place. Uh, cause, cause you mentioned, exactly. Hey, listen, I bought, I bought Intel. Oh, really? I bought this, Real estate invest, and then all of a sudden yep. they think they, they miss yep. something, and, and then and they're all yeah, fear of missing out. It's a big deal. Fear yeah. of missing out is a real thing. And oh, I bought I bought crypto, right? You yeah. didn't buy crypto? Oh my heavens! You 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 you're just <laughs> that you know Bitcoin's going to go to a you know two million dollars, yeah. right? I, it, I always yeah. I always felt like Bitcoin was either going to go to two million or zero. It's right now it's <laughs> on its way to zero. So 
but I always thought it was going to be one or the other. I never thought it was going to be, you know, substantially in between. And, you know, as long as you know that, you know, I, I mean, that's, you want to dabble in something just because you want to be able to say, yeah, I'm dabbling in that, that, but that's not an investment, right? That's dabbling. Instead, what you, you know, what a really good investor does is they go, well, look, um, I'll, let's take a buddy of mine that's a real estate investor. Um, not only does he only do real estate, he only does multifamily homes. He only does multifamily homes in Texas. He only does them if they're 200 units or more. He only do, does them if they're class B property. He only does them if he can get a certain loan to value. I mean, he's got very specific criteria for investing. And if it doesn't meet it, he, he doesn't even pay attention to it. So the challenge with most investors is they're constantly chasing a return. And the returns are not about the investment. The returns are because of the investor, not the investment. So, uh, you know, you have people who make money in real estate and lose money in real estate. You have people who make money in the stock market, people who lose money in the stock market. You have people who make money in cryptocurrency, people who lose money in cryptocurrency, right? You probably have people who make money in dentistry and there are probably people who lose money in dentistry. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you get really good, I mean, you're really good at running dental practices. So you've gotten really good at it. You've, you know, you, you got Howard Fran as a mentor. You've got, you know, you've studied it, you've worked at it. I mean, you know, we had you at our conference um, not too long ago and you, you were terrific telling us, you know, some things that you do that make you different from other dentists. I'm going, you really put some time into how you run your practice. Right. And that's why you're successful. Whereas if you were just like chasing returns, you might go, well, geez, maybe I, you know, maybe I should be in orthodontia. Maybe I should be in, um, you know, maybe I should be, you know, um, uh, doing some other aspect of even dentistry, but no, you, I mean, you, my guess is you probably do one thing, you do it really well and you have a reputation for that. That's also what gives you a brand, right? People know you and they go, Oh, Dr. Sparrow. I, I, I know what I'm going to get from him because you've got a brand because you do the same thing for every patient and they come to expect certain things from you. Well, you can't be a brand in several different ways, in several different areas. You can't develop that expertise. And this is a mis I think this is a serious mistake that, frankly, most investors make that mistake. And those people that are making, uh, you know, don't want to specialize, they probably should have a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds because that's going to be their least risky investment, or they should go buy life insurance. Mm -hmm. Well, the one piece of advice I got early, I think it was, I think it was Howard, to be honest with you, was, you know, stick to what you know. Like, so if you're going to invest in something, so you're going to invest in real estate, real estate supports my dental practice. Boom. Yep. Right. So, you know, so just, and, and just, and, and people get this, I read this in a book, people get hung up with this ego that, well, I'm a good dentist businessman. Well, therefore I can go run a, a restaurant. You know, that's the biggest fallacy on the planet. You know, that's totally. just ego is just chewing you up. Like that doesn't mean I can do that. You know? Totally. I, I had somebody asked me the other day if I, I wanted to get into the pharmacy business. I'm going, why would I want to get in the pharmacy business? I'm a CPA. I don't want to get in the pharmacy business. I mean, I, I like pharmacists. I have a joke. For that. <laughs> I don't want to get in the pharmacy business. So you, you know, like numbers. I, you like numbers. You can count pills. I'm, <laughs> it's a Jerry Seinfeld joke. Well, I, I play. I count pills. There you go. Okay. There you go. See, I can count pills. 
All right. So, so this, this is great stuff. So, so talking to fellow brothers and sisters in dentistry, right? Uh, what are some of the things that they should be, they, they, they should be doing? What are some things that they should be learning, reading? What are some things that they should be doing to help their situation to cut their taxes and accumulate more wealth? Well, I, I think the first thing is to kind of change our language. Um, the, the question I get often asked the most is, you know, somebody will, you know, they'll, 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 they'll hold up their coffee mug and they say, can I deduct this? I'm going, it's the wrong question. Let's change your language. Let's ask the question, how can I deduct it? Okay. And your advisor should also be, you should, I think advisors, the most important thing advisor does just like for you. I mean, if you've got somebody comes in and sits in your chair and they've got a pain in their mouth, uh, you're going to spend, you know, the first little while just asking questions to determine and try to figure out what it is, diagnose it, right? Well, yes. A, a CPA should be doing the same thing. Okay. What is it um, that we need to be looking at? I'm going to be looking at where are you putting your money? Because how you invest your money and how you use your money has a huge impact on how much tax you pay. So I'm going to go, well, look, if you're putting all your money back in your dentistry practice, that's a very different animal than you say, well, I'm putting my money into um, multifamily real estate. Okay. I'm taking out of my dentistry practice, putting in multifamily real estate. Well, I have a whole different scenario there. So very first thing we always do with every client is we actually walk them through and help them to actually help them develop their wealth strategy if they aren't done so, because I want them to be really specific. I want to be really clear. Um, you can't, like Howard says, you can't know everything, um, but you can get really good at one or two things, right? And you get really good at one or two things, then you're going to be successful most of the time. I mean, I've got, I've got buddies that are stock traders. I, I never make money on stocks. I'm, uh, yeah, I would never do that, right? But I have buddies that make a ton of money trading stocks. Well, that's all they do. They know how to trade stocks. That, that's, it comes naturally for them. They've, they've got their mentors. They've learned how to do it. They're, they're, um, they're, they're very strategic about it. Mm -hmm. So my point is, is that you can make money at anything. I mean, when I was a kid, um, it's probably before your time, but when I, I was a kid, we had pet rocks. Somebody came out with this idea. Wait that, a second. Um, I was, I was in, um, I think I was in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade. With were you pet with rocks. pet rocks? Yeah. All right. So pet rocks came out and the, the, the person come up with that made millions of dollars selling pet rocks. Are you kidding me? So I, I, I just always remember that I'm going, like mood I can make money putting faces on river rock. Okay. You can make money doing anything. So it's, it's really more about, again, it's more about learning, you know, ch changing the mindset and learning about investing. For example, uh, when I wrote tax-free wealth, the idea was um, the tax law is not your enemy. The tax law is your friend. Okay. There's literally one line in the tax law that says all income's taxable unless we say it isn't. And there's another line that says nothing's deductible unless we say it is. There's some charts and tables to tell you how much tax to pay, but 99% of the tax law is just a guide to reducing your taxes. So why are we fighting it? Why not just embrace it and say, look, okay, so now I want to make sure I have people around me that support my thought process. So if I'm changing my thought process, I don't want, you know, we, uh, I've got a buddy who works with addiction. 
And he says, number one rule is you cannot overcome your environment. You cannot overcome your environment. So you've got to get out of, you've got to get out of your environment in order to change something. Well, the same thing might be true with the people you surround yourself with, right? If you're wondering, why aren't I making more money? Look around and see, why aren't the people around you making more money? Do you need to be around different people? Um, I, I can uh, give you personal, personal experience on that. I actually made a decision years ago. Uh, I lived in a neighborhood and it was a pretty solid middle-class neighborhood, but I noticed um, in my church, people down the street about a mile and a half had a very different attitude about money. Um, it was less important to them. They had more of it. And uh, they, they seem to be having a lot more fun and I'm going, so I sold my house and I moved into their neighborhood and that's why I moved because I want to be in a different environment with different people. And it changed my income level. You know, when I, when I started hanging out with you, hang out with likes of Robert Kiyosaki, your income level's going to tend to go up because you're hanging out with people who make a lot of money. So I, I, I think you do have to change your environment, and you do have to change the way you think about money, but I think it's very hard to do that um, if you're in your historical vacuum. I think you kind of get out, got to get out and um, get a different view of things. So you, you brought it up, and I think it's a good point because I, I, I experienced this. I can tell you this. So you have, let's say you have an accountant or your advisor, your tax advisor for your practice, and you're very comfortable, right? But you're not really strategizing, right? You're not really right. strategically planning. What are some of the things that you would recommend, either questions or approaches with your advisor? What, what would some of the things that you should be asking? Well, I, I would be asking, why aren't we meeting at least once a quarter? And why aren't you calling me with new ideas at least once a quarter? Why are we doing planning at the end of the year instead of the beginning of the year? Um, tell me why, what, what can we do this year? I'd, I'd be meeting with them in January. Say, what can we do this year to put a dent in these taxes? You know, what, what, what are your suggestions? I mean, I'd start by reading win-win wealth strategy and tax-free wealth, frankly, because because you've got to change your mindset. Right. Right. And that's the whole point of those books. So, you know, you've got, and then I'd read this other book I've got behind me more important than money, which is about building a team. Okay, this is written by the Rich Dad Advisors, and it's about building building teams. So I'd be looking at, okay, how do I change my outlook? And, and what I've look, looked at over the years, I worked with a lot of rich people, right? I mean, that's the advantage of being a CPA. I've worked with a lot of successful people. And when I look at those successful people, I'm going, what have they done differently? And what are they doing differently than other people? And I'm going, it's actually, you can, when you look at it and go, you can start identifying things, but until you get into those environments. So for example, maybe going to a seminar, you know, and sitting with a different group of people, right? You want to learn a little, a little about real estate, go, go to a real estate seminar, right? And, and be with that group of people. See if that's something you like. If you want to learn about um, energy, go to a, a, a seminar that's talking about either renewable or oil and gas, right? And see what those people are like. Are those people you want to hang out with? And um, I, I do think that um, we're going to gravitate. You know, once we get outside of where we are right now, we'll tend to gravitate to those people that we're most comfortable with. And um, 
And I, I think with advisors, the same thing is true. You know, if we have, if we think small, we're probably with an advisor who thinks small. So the, you know, to me, I always ask the question, how big's your game and how big do you want your game to be? Um, you know, you don't own one practice, right? I mean, you're multiple practices. Uh, I know Howard's always talking about multiple practices. So um, if you're talking about a single practice, okay, then, you know, that's a bit of a lifestyle business. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Um, my oh, wife's CPA, she has a, she has her own CPA firm. She works, she and her team work out of the, out of the house and she loves it. And I'm, I'm thrilled for her. It's exactly right for her. It'd be completely wrong for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I just have a, she plays a different game than I do. I and mean, it, it works well for both of us, but you really have to figure out, okay, what, what game do you want to play? And let's play that game and make sure that the people around us are playing the same game. So what would some thing, what would some questions be that a person would, let's say, ask themselves, like do a little self introspection, right. To try to get to that. Cause you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right. You're, you're, you're thinking along these lines or, you know, what, and, you know, staying in your lane, you're in your comfort zone, whatever, whatever terminology you want to say. Right. What, what, what would advice be to someone who's uh, just figuring it out? You know, well, I'll, I'll tell you some questions I've asked myself over the years. Sure. Why don't I make more money? Why don't I have a bigger house? Why don't I travel? This is, previously, but why, you know, why don't I, why, why don't I get to travel first class every time? Why, why are there things that I want to do? I'm not doing and Why aren't I doing them? Mm -hmm. And I think we have to challenge ourselves and go, well, I think, you know, we talk about a glass ceiling for different categories of employees, right? I think we all have our own glass ceiling that we've kind of set the ceiling for ourselves and we can't break out of it. And the reason we can't break out of it again is probably our environment. And the people around. So, you know, the question is, what's keeping me where I am? Do I want to change? I mean, that's the first question, right? So what are the, what are the barriers is what the first thing you're saying. Yeah. Right? What are the barriers? Um, mm -hmm. uh, th there's a great book by Ryan Holiday um, that's uh, called The Obstacle is the Way, one of my favorite books. And they're basically saying, look, look at the obstacles and going, that might be your answer is the obstacle. You know, what is the obstacle? What do I have to do to break through that obstacle? But until we identify what the obstacles are, I don't think we can ever break through the obstacles because we're lost. Right. right? I, I just think that um, I found it's, <laughs> Sunny, you probably found the same thing, but I know I found it's, it's all about personal development. It's knowing how to do it business-wise. Lots of people to tell you that. You know, go to strategic coach, you know, go to, uh, go, you know, go to, um, go to uh, dental town. I mean, there's lots of opportunities there, but we'll never do it unless we want to do it. And we've got to figure out why haven't we done it in the past? And it's probably because there is something holding us back. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. So we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes. Um, how about any final, any final thoughts, any final things you'd like to share with uh, our dental friends? Yeah, I, I, I think that dentists are in a unique position. I've always thought this. I, I love, I actually, I love dentists as clients. And the reason is because you have two things. In order to make money, you need either time or money. And most dentists have both. And that's a unique position to be in. Right. I mean, you know, you don't see a, 
Now, I'm sure there are, but you don't see a whole lot of dentists working 60 hours a week. Okay. So they typically have more time than your probably typical entrepreneur, certainly than like a real estate developer who's at work 90 hours a week, right? That, that, that's their whole life, real estate developer, um, who I also work with. Um, and so you go, okay, I've got time and I've also got money left over from what I need to live on. So that means I've got those two precious commodities and it's, and all I need now is I need mindset and I need uh, a team. And if I get that mindset and I get that team around me, I mean, there's literally no limit to what you can do. The only limit's going to be the limit you put on yourself as, as we were saying. So I just think dentists have a, a wonderful opportunity and uh, I'm going, you know, no dentist. I, 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 every once in a while, I see a dentist who's struggling. I'm going, why? Because you really have, there's so much opportunity. Um, uh, you've got such a great business. It, it really is. And, and as, a, as an industry, you've done an amazing job uh, 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 not being sucked in by Medicare and not being sucked in by some, some of these problems that other medical, uh, oh my heavens, pharmacists, they like compete against their suppliers. I mean, it's horrible. Right. So I, I do think you're in a great business. And I, I think certainly, you know, one thing I do always recommend is you're never going to make more money than you will in your business. So you'll never get a better return than your business. So if you can expand your business, so this is why I think what you're doing, what Howard's doing is so important because you'll never make more money than in your, in your practice, frankly. I mean, that's where, if you can put your money back in your practice, that's always going to be your best investment and it's all tax deductible. So why wouldn't you? Right. So that, that's the very first thing the government wants is build your businesses, build it out. Uh, you know, bring in dentists. There's plenty of people who don't want to be entrepreneurs. I'm sure dentists and they're willing to work uh, for a salary. So, you know, why not, why not leverage it? All right. Good point. Okay. Well, let me ask you the final question. I always ask everybody, nothing to do with what we talked about. If you could go back to any time or place, where would you go and why? Oh, um, that's, that's easy. Africa. Um, a number of years ago, my wife and I, uh, went to Africa was not on our bucket list. I, I had a speaking gig in Johannesburg and I had a speaking gig a few weeks later in Australia. And so we took six weeks and we spent two weeks in Zimbabwe and we spent uh, a couple of weeks in New Zealand. And then we spent another week in um, Australia and Africa. I don't know if you've been to Africa, but it, once you go, you, it's always part of you. It's like that. That's the that's where civilization came from. Makes total sense because you feel like, wow, this is such an amazing place. The people there are unbelievable. Our our we're on a eco safari. Our 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 guide spoke fourteen languages. He'd been through the collapse of the Zimbabwe dollar, and was teaching us economics. Uh, how do you deal with runaway inflation? And uh, to me, I. And I've got friends in Africa, South Africa and Zimbabwe, and uh, that, that would be it. I, I love, love Africa. All right. Well, that's, that's, 
That's a unique answer. And I love it because you've got all the facts and data behind it. That's great stuff. Well, I appreciate you very much, Tom. Thanks for coming on. It was, was a, this was a, 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 a little bit of time in the planning, which is not always my strength, but I work with uh, your people all good. I think Irene was one and some of the other folks. So you Irene's got a great amazing. team there. So, nope, and uh, nope, I endorse do. it. So thank you very much. No, I, I appreciate that. Appreciate you having me on and, um, you know, really, you, you know, putting this information out to Dennis because, you know, tax-free wealth, win-win wealth strategy, this is stuff that every dentist can do and it can make a huge impact. I mean, taxes are the fastest way to put money in your pocket and your single biggest expense. So why not spend some effort and some time uh, getting your mind around it? It's not that difficult. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.